would invite you to take your Bibles, or you can look in the bulletin, and we have the passage that we'll be looking at today printed for you there. We're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 9. If you're looking in your Bibles, it's almost at the very, very end, not only the last book of the Bible, but the second to last chapter of the last book of the Bible. Uh, We are here in the middle of chapter 21. We've got a chapter and a half left of Revelation. And I think we're going to have six or seven sermons out of those uh, chapter and a half or so. Uh, There's just so much that uh, that is encouraging and that is helpful to us in these words. And I don't want us to go too quickly. So today we're going to be looking at chapter 21, beginning in verse 9. And uh, we'll be going down through verse 21. I invite you to uh, listen or to read along as I read to you Revelation 21, beginning in verse 9. John says, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates were twelve, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst and the twelve gates were were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for giving us your word and so preserving it over these many years that we can read it and that we can know it is your word We can be instructed by it. We can be under its authority. And so, Father, I pray that as we read these encouraging words, these words that you've given to us to give us just a glimpse of what is coming, of what heaven will be like, I pray that you would fill us with encouragement and hope and peace, that you would fill us with a strength that we might be courageous in our faith, 
that we might be bold in expressing the gospel to others, and that you would give us both the desire and the ability to lean and to fight against our sin, that you would conform us more and more to our Savior's likeness. We pray this in his name. Amen. I want you to think of a time, uh, perhaps recently, perhaps a long time ago, but a time when you saw something that was so beautiful that it took your breath away. Uh, Something that was so beautiful that it caused you to stop in your tracks. It was overwhelming, even if just for a moment. If you're a married man, perhaps the time was when you saw your bride at the back of the room on your wedding day as she came down the aisle to greet you. If you're a parent, perhaps it was the birth of your child or the first time that you got to see your child. Uh, Maybe it was a time when you saw an incredible sunset while sitting on the beach or camping in the mountains. Maybe it was the first time that you saw something like the Grand Canyon or the first time that you saw an ocean or the first time that you saw the northern lights. Maybe it was simply just when you were walking through your neighborhood recently uh, or perhaps walking through a park and you saw a flower. Maybe it's one that you've seen before. Maybe it's one that you'd never seen before. You didn't recognize it and you got in close and looked at the incredible detail of that flower and your breath was taken away at its beauty. Maybe it's been a time when you were looking at a piece of art by a famous painter or sculptor or maybe even a piece of art from one of our own church family artists. Think of that time when you saw something so beautiful that your breath was taken away. Stops us in our tracks. And it gives us, even if just for a moment, a glimpse of something larger that is breaking into the moment. It gives us a glimpse of something bigger. It gives us a glimpse of the ultimate source of that beauty that we are looking at. Something like that is happening here in Revelation 21 this morning. Something like that is happening to the Apostle John. This this angel we read about in verse 9, and one of the previous angels that brought some of the judgment on uh, the world that we've read about earlier in Revelation. One of those same angels comes now to John and he takes him and he says, come with me. And he takes John up onto a high mountain and he gives John a glimpse into something that is so beautiful That is so overwhelming that it causes John to catch his breath. It causes him to be filled with hope and encouragement. It's a picture, it's a glimpse of what happens when Jesus Christ comes back again. It's a picture of the new heavens and the new earth. We started looking at this vision a couple of weeks ago as we looked at the beginning part of chapter 21. And now John is going to give us more detail of what he got to see in this glimpse of this beautiful sight of what is coming for God's people. So overwhelming, so beautiful, so encouraging, because what he sees is a place that is safe and that is beautiful. So safe, so beautiful that it should take our breath away. And even more than that, as we look at this vision that John sees of what is actually true and it will come to pass, it should fill us with courage and strength and peace and hope to live 
like the people that we are as God's people. Before we jump into this incredible picture, uh, two quick things for us to remember. The first is just a a quick summary, a quick recap of of what we've been talking about. Most of the book of Revelation has been focused on teaching the church, teaching God's people of what it means to live between the advents of Jesus, between his first coming and his second coming, what they should expect, what they uh, should expect that it's going to be like to live as God's people between the advents of Jesus. As we get closer to the end of the book of Revelation, uh, we, get, we start to begin to see, we're, we're given these visions of what's happening behind the spiritual curtain, as it were, on the cosmic battlefield, the battle between good and evil. We've been looking at that over the many last weeks. And now we're coming to the final part of this book, these final three chapters, chapter 20 and 21 and 22. Chapter 20, we see the final judgment. We see Satan and all of his followers, all of his evil demons and legions are defeated and they are cast into the fire, the lake of fire forever. The beginning of chapter 21, we saw two weeks ago, we begin to get John's description of what he saw with the new heaven and the new earth, where God's people and God are dwelling together, a place where there is fellowship and communion with God, a place where there are no more tears, no more mourning, no more crying or pain or death, a place where sin and all things that are broken come untrue. And now here we come in verses 9 through 21. John is giving us more details, more specifics, more reasons for us to be encouraged. A second thing before we jump in this morning is just a reminder of something that we've seen throughout the book of Revelation. There are lots of symbolism throughout this book. There are many parts of this book that are not intended for us to take them in a wooden, literalistic way, but they are pointing us to a greater greater and bigger truth. We see that here in Revelation 21 as well. Uh, We'll see that a couple different ways. First of all, if you'll just look at the end of verse 17, John gets this vision of the measurements of heaven. And we're told that there is both a human measurement as well as an angelic measurement. It's a reminder to us that, yes, John is being given physical measurements. They are taken, they are recorded, and they're things that we can understand. They're from a human perspective, but we're also told that there's an angelic way to understand these measurements as well. There's a spiritual significance to these numbers and to these measurements that they point us to an even greater spiritual reality. We also see the fact that there's much in Revelation that is symbolism as we come even to the very first couple of verses in chapter uh, 21, verses 9 and 10. These words as they're written in verses 9 and 10 are almost verbatim from what we got in chapter 17. They're meant uh, in chapter 17, we're being given a contrast of, of what the city of Babylon is like called Babylon the prostitute. And we're told that it's representative, it's symbolic of the worldly kingdoms of the evil one. And so now John is getting this vision and the angel is reminding them that now there's this stark contrast. You saw back in chapter 17 what the, what the city of Babylon, the city of evil is like, the city that is opposed to God. And now I'm going to show you the holy city, the city of Jerusalem, the city of God's people. So as we jump in, we remember 
that there's much symbolism in this book. What I want us to see this morning as the angel takes John is that he takes him up onto this mountain and we see in verse 10 that he carries John away in the spirit and he shows him a city. A city that is coming down from heaven. And I want us to notice a couple things about this city. The first is that the city is safe. As John sees this city, he tries to describe it. He's remembering the words that go all the way back to Ezekiel in Ezekiel's prophecy in chapters 40 through 48 of Ezekiel. And now John is seeing the fulfillment of that Old Testament prophecy of what the new Jerusalem is going to be like. It's a safe place. It's safe because it's measured. That's what we read about in verses 15 through 17. The one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured the wall, 144 cubits, by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. This angel that is leading John uh, up to this mountain to show him this pulls out a measuring rod, uh, a precious measuring rod of gold. And he begins to measure this city that uh, John is being shown. And we're told that the length and the width and the height are all equal in size. Twelve thousand stadia. And then we're told that the wall, and it could possibly be the walls that he is seeing on the outside of the city, or it could simply be the thickness of the walls. But the walls measure 144 cubits. Now, I will tell you that I was tempted to translate those stadia and cubits into miles and feet so that we would understand what it's about. But I think it's actually not helpful for us to do that. It's not helpful for us because it's not the point to completely understand the, the micro details of the measurements that, that John is being given. The point of measuring is twofold. The first is that John is seeing something that is massive, that is enormous. It is a place that is safe and secure. It's in contrast to the walls of the actual city of Jerusalem that frequently were breached, that were broken, that were infiltrated. And John's being shown this, this massive, enormous place to show that it is a safe place, that is a place of security. But it's also not helpful to change these numbers into measurements that we might use in our own culture, in our own society, because as we've talked about so often in Revelation, numbers are representative of things. And these numbers, 12,000 and 144, are multiples of 12. That's significant in the book of Revelation. We've talked about that already and we'll see it in just a minute a bit more. But the number 12 often refers to the, the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament and the 12 apostles in the New Testament. And it represents the totality of the people of God. And so what John is seeing here is a city that is massive, that is enormous, and that is filled with the people of God from all time. It is safe. It is measured. It's safe because it's guarded as well. You see in verse 12 that he sees the city walls have 12 gates on them. And each gate, we're told, has an angel. 
Now remember, we saw back in chapter 20, and we saw again at the beginning of chapter 21, the reminder that Satan and all of his followers, uh, the beasts and the prostitute, all of the evil demons that serve Satan, they have already been defeated. They have already been thrown into the lake of fire where they'll never escape forever and ever. So there's no need for any guardians, even as we'll see next week when we come to verses 25 through 27, we're told that there is nothing unclean that comes into this wonderful city. There is no evil that comes into this city. There is no sin. So there's no need for guardian angels to be sitting on these gates. But to underscore how safe the city is, how secure it is, there's not just one or two or three, but 12 angels guarding the city. It's safe. It's safe because of its size, its measurements. It's safe because it's guarded. But also, it is safe because it is filled. We read in verses 10 and 11 that the glory of God filled this city. Now, we'll look more at that next week as we come to verses 22 and following. But just a reminder, if you think about the st- think back to the stories in the Old Testament of when the glory of God showed up, It was a dramatic moment. And those who were in the presence of the glory of God would tremble because of the power of the glory of God. And here we're told that the glory of God and all of its power fills this new and holy city. This is a safe and secure place. It is measured, it is guarded, it is filled. It couldn't be more safe for those who dwell in this place. It's not just safe, though. It's also a beautiful place. You can see that a couple different ways. First of all, you can see how beautiful it is in its shape. If you look at verse 16, you'll see that verse 16 tells us that its length and its width and its height are equal in size. What John is seeing here is a cube. It's the shape of a cube, perfect in length and width and height, all equal sizes. Now, again, I don't think that that means that we're supposed to take this overly literally and that heaven is going to be in a perfect size shape of a cube. It's actually given the dimension. We're given those dimensions because it's pointing us to an even greater reality that shows us the beauty of this place. There was another important place in the Bible where the dimensions were a cube. Where the length and the height and the width of the place was equal in size. The place in the Bible where we see that happening, other than here in heaven, was in the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament tabernacle and temple. Specific dimensions were given of the the layout of the temple and of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And the center part of the tabernacle and temple was the Holy of Holies. It was the place where only the high priest could go. And only once a year. A place where the Ark of the Covenant, where the presence of God, where the glory of God resided. It was an Old Testament picture of God dwelling in the midst of his people. And here, John is being given the dimensions of heaven, the shape of heaven, and it's in this perfect cube. And it's to point us to the reality that in heaven, God will be dwelling with us as his people forever and ever. 
That's what we read last uh, two weeks ago in verse three. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with me and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. This shows us the beauty, the beauty of this place and the beauty of God that will fill every inch of the new heavens and the new earth. And that's the reason why it shows us its beauty, not only in its shape, but also in its shine. In verses 18 through 21, we read that as John gets a closer look of what's happening in this city, it is a city that is shining. The wall was built like jasper. While the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. And we see these 12 different colored jewels that are listed in verses 19 and 20. The 12 gates in verse 21 were 12 pearls, where we get our pearly gates phrase from. Each of the gates made of a single pearl and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Can you imagine how beautiful this place is going to be? The walls, the gates, the foundations of the walls are all made out of and covered with these precious metals and shining jewels. And then the glory of God will fill the place. Can you imagine how it will shine? You can imagine as you think about all these different colored jewels that as the glory of God is filling heaven and as these jewels are reflecting and and these precious metals are reflecting the glory of God, it's going to be a rainbow of colors. That true biblical sign of God's covenant with his people. They're shining in brilliance. But even as they're shining in brilliance, notice something else that these jewels signify for us. Something else that they point us to that's important. The list of jewels that we read about in verses 19 and 20 are essentially the exact same list of stones that were worn in the Old Testament by the high priest on his breastplate. He was given 12 stones and each one had one of the tribes of Israel's name inscribed upon it. So that as he went into the temple, as he went into the Holy of Holies, he took God's people with him, representing them into the presence of the Lord. And now we have this picture of the new heavens and the new earth that God's people again will be with him in his presence forever, shining with his glory. This is a a beautiful place. Do you see the beauty of this city? Can you imagine the beauty that awaits the people of God once Jesus returns? It should point us. It should point us to the ultimate source of. Of that beauty, the beauty of God himself. C.S. Lewis once said that the sweetest, and this is him speaking, says the sweetest thing in all my life has been the process of discovering the ultimate source of all beauty. The sweetest thing in all my life has been the process of discovering the ultimate source of all beauty. We'll come back to this in the next couple of weeks. But for now, I just want to say this, that of all people, God's people should be on the lookout even now for beautiful things in this world. 
They, they point us to the beauty, the, the greatest and ultimate source of all beauty, the beauty of God himself. But they also, as we, as we gaze upon beautiful things even in this world, they point us forward to the ultimate beauty that we are going to experience in the new heaven and the new earth for all eternity. I'm especially thankful for the many gifted artists that we have in our own church family. Painters and sculptors and collage makers, woodworkers and photographers and musicians and others. They use their God-given abilities to help us to see the beauty of God's creation, the beauty of the beautiful one himself, God. And they point us to the beauty of this place that is one day going to be our home forever. This city is safe. This city is beautiful. But I want you to see one last thing. And this is the most important thing. And that is this. This city is you. Now what do I mean by that? Well, if you go back and look at verses 9 and 10, you'll notice that verse 10 all the way through verse 21 is describing this incredible city that John is seeing as it comes down out of heaven. But that's not actually what the angel told John that he was going to show him. If you look at verse 9, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you, not a city. What am I going to show you? I'm going to show you the bride. I'm going to show you the wife of the lamb. And then he carried John away and shows him this incredible city, the holy city of Jerusalem. Here's the point. All of the the beauty, all of the, the wonder that John is seeing about this city is to point him to the fact that this holy city is actually the bride of the Lamb. We've already talked about that reference uh, in Revelation before. The bride of the Lamb. It's describing God's people. If you are in Christ, then you are the bride of Christ. Jesus is our bridegroom. Through faith in Christ, we are united to our Savior forever. And this city is describing us. It couldn't be said more plainly. And yet it also says it a couple other ways in the same passage. In verses 12 through 14, we read about the fact that there's a representative of both the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament and the 12 apostles of Jesus in the New Testament. The names of the tribes are written on the twelve gates that are being guarded by the twelve angels. And the wall of the city, we read, had twelve foundations and the names of the twelve apostles were written on the foundations. The twelve tribes of Israel in the Old Testament, the twelve apostles of Jesus in the New Testament. It was a way of speaking about the people of God in totality. That's what's being signified here, what John is seeing. He is seeing the city as the people of God. And we've also seen it already in verses 19 and 20 with these 12 stones. They point us back to the Old Testament garment of the priest, the breastplate with the 12 stones representing the people of God. What we're seeing here is not simply a city. We're seeing a picture of the people of God. We're seeing a picture of you and of me. Revelation 21 is not just a description of what heaven will be like. It's a description of what you are like as God's people. 
Now in part, and one day in complete perfection. Heaven is not just going to be a safe place that is measured and guarded and filled and beautiful. You are safe. And you are beautiful. You have been measured and guarded and you are filled with the glory of God. And you are beautiful in the ways that you will serve the Lord and the ways that you reflect the glory of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the more that this, the more that we get this into our hearts and our minds, the more that this truth sinks deeply into our imaginations and our hearts, the more that we will be filled with courage and strength. To live like who we are. Courage. We be filled with courage because as we read this description, not only of what we will be like, but of what we are now in part, it will give us boldness in sharing our faith with others. That there will be no more fear in telling other people about this wonderful place and of the wonderful and beautiful Savior that enables us to go to this place. It will give us boldness to share our faith faith so that we might be filled with joy as we see others getting to experience this place that is being described in the future. It will give us courage not only in sharing our faith, but in speaking the truth, especially in difficult circumstances. We are to do that always in love, And always with humility and patience. But we are to do it with boldness and courage as we would speak the truth of the word of God. Even when it's unpopular to do so. And even when it's costly to us to do so. This vision of what John is giving fills us with courage. It also fills us with strength. As we would understand more and more who we are, as well as what is going to be true of us perfectly in the new heaven and earth, it empowers us to live like who we are now. We're never going to be perfected in this life. That is only going to happen in the life to come. But God is at work in His people now, making us more and more like what we will one day be in perfection. So in those moments, when we delight in our sin, we are living counterfeit lives. In those moments, when we... When we delight in what is wrong and what is not honoring to the Lord, in those moments we are not living like who we are in Christ. So the more that we are gripped by this vision that John gives us of what is to come and what is already true of us in part, the more that we'll have strength to fight and to lean against our sin and to honor the Lord in all of our lives. This vision not only gives us courage and strength, it also gives us an overwhelming peace. Because we see the unified and faithful plan of God. This, this goes along a little bit with what we were talking about when we see the beauty of God in this vision. If we look below the surface of what we read in Revelation 21, it gives us this beautiful picture of God's unified and faithful plan. The whole Bible is the unified story of God's pursuit of His people. Of God's pursuing and redeeming His people through the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. People from the Old Testament. People from the New Testament. People from the beginning of time until the end of time. All ransomed and reconciled to our Father in Heaven through the same Savior. Jesus, 
is that one. Did you notice here in the foundations of the wall? It's the 12 apostles' names that are listed on the foundations. Imagine these 12 pillars or foundations going down into the ground. And as the city is coming down, John is seeing the names of the 12 apostles printed on these foundations. But notice it's not the apostles in and of themselves. It is the 12 apostles we read of the Lamb. And that's a reminder to us that the ultimate foundation for all of this is not simply the apostles, but the apostles of the Lamb. Jesus is the, the ultimate foundation. He is the ultimate foundation. And that's what we read from Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verses uh, 19 and following. So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The promise that had been made to Abraham back in Genesis that God would bless Abraham and his family and that through Abraham he would be a blessing to the nations is now being fulfilled as Jesus comes again and the new heaven and the new earth and the holy city of Jerusalem comes down. That ought to fill us with an overwhelming sense of peace as we see that God has been at work all this time completing his unified plan with faithfulness. I want you to think of this. As John is standing or sitting perhaps overwhelmed with the vision that he's seeing on this mountain, as he's seeing the city come down, and as he sees the foundation, and he begins, he begins to talk about these foundations, these pillars, and he looks and he sees the names of the apostles, and he sees his own name. John's name is one of the apostles written on that foundation. Can you imagine? John, as he's writing these words, as he's receiving this vision, has been exiled on the island of Patmos. He's alone. He's isolated. He's quarantined. And you can imagine that he probably has a sense that his brothers in Christ, the other apostles, have died at the hands of people who hate God. And you can imagine that he must have been discouraged. He must have been wondering about what God was doing. And now he gets this vision and he sees even his own name written on the foundation of the temple, uh, of, the, of the city coming down out of heaven. How much encouragement that must have given him. How much peace it must have given him. Knowing that even though so much seems lost, even though he was alone, He's not alone. God has not forgotten him. God is faithful. God is at work. The 17th century pastor Samuel Rutherford uh, was a well-known pastor and theologian and churchman. He was one of the delegates to the Westminster Assembly. He was also a man that wrote many letters and poems. And 200 years after Rutherford died... A lady by the name of Anne Cousin took a number of Rutherford's letters and poems and she put them together and she turned it into a hymn. 
It's the hymn that's, that's entitled, The Sands of Time Are Sinking. It's Rutherford looking forward. Looking forward to what heaven will be like. And as he does that, he's filled with courage. He's filled with boldness. He's filled with strength. He's filled with an overwhelming sense of peace. Listen to this hymn. The sands of time are sinking. The dawn of heaven breaks. The summer morn I've sighed for. The fair sweet morn awakes. Dark, dark had been the midnight. But day spring is at hand and glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. The king there in his beauty without a veil is seen. It were a well-spent journey those seven deaths lay between. The lamb with his fair army doth on Mount Zion stand and glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. O Christ, he is the fountain, the deep, sweet well of love. The streams on earth I've tasted, more deep I'll drink above. There to an ocean fullness, his mercy doth expand. And glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom face. I will not gaze at glory, but on the King of grace, not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hands. The Lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. Oh, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He brings a poor, vile sinner into his house of wine. I stand upon his merit, I know no other stand. Not in where glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would give us a glimpse of this incredible place that is coming for your people. We're overwhelmed at its beauty. We're overwhelmed at its safety. And we are even more overwhelmed as we recognize that this is not only a description of the heaven that we will one day enjoy forever and ever, but it is a description of us as your people. We are safe. We are beautiful in Christ. Fill us with hope and encouragement, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.